Hey, listeners, do you fucking love music? Because we do. And if you fucking love music, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on the record music, where for just $5 a month, you can have access to our private podcast where we go in depth on albums, do extended album reviews, do impromptu shows, do live shows, legacy albums, lots of great content on the Patreon, on the private podcast, because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today, or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music. and We love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts. We go to festivals. And that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money. And we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. Hello, hello. You are listening to On The Record Music, a music podcast for those who just fucking love music. In today's episode, we're putting on the tinfoil hats and talking conspiracies. This one is about the band Klaatu and if it is the Beatles. In 1976, this band kind of came out of nowhere and put out an album and it was widely rumored and believed to potentially be the Beatles. So in today's episode, we are going to dive into that a little bit more, and then we will follow it up with part two next week. We really appreciate you listening. After the episode, if you wouldn't mind giving us a nice little review over on Apple Podcasts, it'd be greatly appreciated. You can also join us on Instagram at On The Record Music and on Twitter at OTRM Podcast. Thank you for listening today, and enjoy the show. They hand you a joint as you walk in. It's like having a leadoff hitter that hits 210. Well, you know, Jesse, you're wrong because you can never have enough guitar solo. How's that high life doing? <laughs> it's empty. <laughs> oh, love it. And we're on the record, a music podcast where we talk all things music. I am Jesse Drager, your host from Minneapolis. My co-host and buddy, Ben, is out in Chicago, Illinois. How are you doing, Ring Hafa? I am fantastic been chilling on the anus of uranus the anus of uranus feeling good feeling fine <laughs> anus of uranus you're gonna be a friend of mine i can't how, was, how does that go i can't remember but is that already like your favorite song from the album that we're gonna talk oh, it's about such a, it's such a good song <laughs> just, i always love that just one. the name come on anus yeah, the, of uranus let's the guitar go. riff is sweet in that let's too. go <laughs> uh I love that. That whole first side is beautiful. The first four, so great, so great. Yeah. And so, uh, what are we here today? Are we getting out the uh, the tin foil hats here? Are we talking conspiracies? We are. We're getting into conspiracies. I've never much been a guy for conspiracies myself, but you presented me an interesting topic last week when we were talking, and this was too good to pass up. A little dive into. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what you'd presented to me and why we're here today? Well, so originally um, I was thinking of a new kind of a category for us to do. And one of the things was I was thinking of legacy albums. So I thought of this one album by a band called Claw 2. And when I thought about why I wanted to bring this one up for an album review, I was thinking, man, the story behind it is the best part of it. So what the story is, is that this band Claw 2, I wanted to present you the conspiracy of why they're possibly even known in this world is because they are known to be, or thought to be, the Beatles. And Claw 2 is a band from the 70s that sounded a lot like the Beatles with their first album. And so there was this growing conspiracy for the longest time in the mid-70s thinking that the Beatles got back together secretly and that this is the project. And so I wanted you to be exposed to it because my father and my uncles are the ones that taught me about this conspiracy. You know, usually the Beatles conspiracies are, you know, around, um, you know, Paul being dead and, uh, you know, just other like little freaks of accidents with the Beatles. Um, I really don't pay that much attention to them, to be honest with you. 
but this one really caught my eye because when you uh, when you really dive into what the evidence, the way that you know I had you go uh, listen to it and kind of diving into it is the evidence that my uncles were given and my father were given in the seventies. So it's like I I lived it through them, and so I kind of was presenting you the challenge to live the conspiracy through me, right? Yeah, and I was kind of blown away. This was not a conspiracy that I knew of. Like you, I'm not a big conspiracy guy, and I've heard some of those Beatles ones, like the Paul is dead thing, and you know. But I always just thought it was like kitschy and haha funny. But this is one that I hadn't heard of. So this idea that this band Claw Two that came out with this album was actually the Beatles the entire time. And so you had told me to, A, go listen to this album. So there's actually a few out by this band, but go listen to this album, 347 EST, Eastern Standard Time, and kind of keep in mind that it might be the Beatles, it might not be, just listen through it. And then you presented me with a couple different radio programs to listen to Mm -hmm. and a few articles to read that really analyze this conspiracy and dig into the songs. Excuse me. I'm burping up my beer. The songs, the uh, conversations with record companies, managers, that sort of thing. And then a few articles that kind of highlight that stuff as well. So I did that and I still don't know what the truth is. And that's kind of the fun of this conspiracy. So if you want to join me in my conspiratorial quest, that's you, the good listener. Don't Google anything. Because I'm sure there might be an answer out there. I haven't done that yet. I've refrained from Googling or searching into this band any further. As tempted as I am, I almost caught myself because I was reading the band bio on Spotify. And it started out talking about how the band was considered or rumored to be the Beatles. And then I, as I was reading, I was like, oh shit, I think this is going to like reveal mm-hmm. the actual answer. So I stopped reading. So... Don't read into it. It's still a conspiracy worth exploring on its own. So what Jesse and I are going to Jesse and I are going to do today is go through some of that information that I was presented. We're going to talk about the album a little bit and then I'm going to kind of give my thoughts and conclusions. Jesse might reveal what the answer is, he might not. We might leave it to a part 2 where we dive into the album a little bit more, do a more extensive album review, because this album, by, by the way, this album is really fucking good. So mm-hmm. just do yourself a favor and go listen to this album on its own, because whether or not it's the Beatles, whoever it is, it's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. So just hard stop there, go listen to it. But we're going to do that, then we'll review the album, and then do an earnest album review, and also tie it into the Beatles and this conspiracy that's going on here. So that leads us to where we are in this moment. Yep, correct. And so really it's a fun one to kind of delve into. Hopefully we can uh, kind of open this one up for you guys. It's kind of like uh, it's like a little treasure trove of, of uh, onion being peeled apart here of trying to get to the heart and soul, which is actually just the music, you know, which is kind of fun. Um, so, Ben, I don't know, how should we start this? So should I give a quick little history of like how my uncles and my dad kind of found this? Yeah, give us a little history about this, then we can kind of talk about just when this album came out and kind of how this all unfolded. Yeah, so back in back in the uh, 70s, probably about 1976 or early 77, my dad remembers it was wintertime. Uh, he knew a gentleman down at in Duluth, Minnesota, is where we lived. Um, my dad knew of a man at uh, Minnesota Power, our local electrical company, and he had heard of this band, Klaatu, and was talking about this. And this guy could actually pull in radio signals from all around uh, the, the, the United States and Canada. And so he caught this radio program that had spoken. It's the second one that I sent you, the one that was kind of like from the East Coast, Boston area, um, Providence kind of area. And um, so he had told my dad about this. Well, instantly, my dad told my uncles, and they went out and bought the album and sat down and listened to it. And then a couple days later... Um, the radio broadcast, the one that we had that I gave you, which was the main one, um, that was actually broadcast in Duluth. 
Um, and my, my my uncles and my dad recorded it, and that's the evidence that I presented to you. And so it's exactly kind of the very the similar way that they found out. They had they heard it from somebody. They bought and listened to the album. They listened to that radio program. Then they listened to it again, and they were pretty much convinced that this was the Beatles. So now that we have that little back history of my um, background and uh, behind this conspiracy, why don't we just jump into the radio program? Don't you think? Yeah, let's dive in. Okay, so we'll talk kind of like in little segments here, I think. Uh, Like the introductory segment really starts off great. It kind of gives you like a great little lead and doesn't it? It kind of just leads you in and talks about how Klaatu, what's the reason? Is Klaatu the Beatles? And they kind of lead off by saying, well, this has to be, this mystery needs to be solved because Klaatu is the only credited people that are on there there's no like you know terry brown there is no ben ringhofer it's just everything's credited to clot two there's no f- pictures or anything many albums are released by many different record labels and many go unnoticed by you and i as we shop the racks with our money in hand looking to buy an album well if you're into the trip of looking for different music and reading the credits on the back of an album to find out what big names might have helped to record it then the clot two album posed a problem for you the band's name is Klaatu. The songs were written by Klaatu. The songs were published by Klaatu. And the album was even produced by, you guessed it, Klaatu. So thus begins the mystery of just who is Klaatu. While Steve Smith, who was a reporter for the Providence Rhode Island Journal, was listening to a local station in Providence when he heard some music that sounded Beatle-ish. After hearing the entire album, and learning nothing about the band from reading the credits on the album, he called Capitol Records and was told that Klaatu was a mystery group, supposedly four or five independently wealthy musicians whose names were being kept secret by Capitol Records and by the band's manager, Frank Davies of Toronto. The band said Davies will not submit to interviews or pictures because they want to be known for their music and not for who they are. While trying to keep secrets from a hard-working investigative reporter and all the radio stations in the country who are sure to pick up in this mystery group is a large task. But so far, Capitol and Frank Davies have managed to keep the group's identity a mystery. And that only serves to fan the fires of the rumor mill. And right now, the rumor mill wants everyone in the country to think that Klaatu is the Beatles. Yeah, right away, this already starts to smell a little fishy because... The band itself, it's just credited to the band. There's no information. So it you just as you're reading about this or hearing about this, it's like, holy shit, like this has to be something going on here. There has to be something going on here because this band that sounds remarkably like the Beatles in many different ways comes out of nowhere with this album and then there's there's no pictures of the band. There's no band members listed. People at the record companies and managers either don't know or aren't saying anything. Everyone's very, very, very hush-hush about this whole thing, about this whole concept. So right off the bat, it's already a little bit fishy mm-hmm. because it seems like there's something going on, like there's something for sure that could be happening here. Yeah, even in the year, I think it's about... I was gonna- yeah, Conan O'Brien's going to probably sue us, but uh, in the year 2000, <laughs> when I first learned about this conspiracy, I even found it odd, even 20-some years after this album was released, that that had no credits on it. Because you always, every CD you've seen or every album that you saw had some sort of credit, and it was just claw two, claw two. So that's just really weird to me myself. Now... How did this all begin? Basically, the radio program talks about Steve Smith, the journalist out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island, who basically had listened to um, Klaatu, had accidentally overheard it somewhere, and he just thought it was such great a tune that it was very Beatlesque. He's like, this has to be, um, you know, the Beatles. And so basically he he wrote an article uh, with all the evidence that he kind of pr- uh, presents in this radio program, right? Yeah, he dives into it with each track. And we can talk a little bit more about the information that's presented. So this radio program that we're all listening to now is titled, Is Claw 2 the Beatles? The Mystery is a Magical Tour. And this was published in Duluth Superior on the radio. 
and we will just read some clips and play some clips for you and kind of give you the same insight that we've been given to understand this conspiracy a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. So let's kind of dive into what Steve Smith's article kind of started on fire here. The article title was, Could Klaatu Be the Beatles? Um, So basically, um, if you don't know anything about the name Klaatu itself, the the it, that's where the that's where the biggest key comes in for a lot of this Beatles conspiracy here, and and Steve Smith um, says that the name Klaatu is from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, if you don't know what that movie is, it's it's a it's a 1953 movie where uh, kind of what would you say it's just sci-fi horror, not maybe horror, but just sci-fi, um, where it's a alien named Klaatu comes down, and then there's this robot that kind of goes around and terrorizes the neighborhood if i remember right i saw it once before but i, I can't really remember the plot but clot two plays a big part in that because one of the other clues involved with the name clot two is ringo's album goodnight vienna which was released in november 15th 1974 has a depiction of that robot from the day the earth stood still and ringo's head is superimposed on clot body who's standing you know like on in the door of the ship and one more thing about Ringo's album um, was that the poster that came out with the album had the word Klaatu on the bottom. Many different clues have sprouted up trying to tie the two groups together, such as Ringo Starr. The whole thing seems to tie in with Ringo's album, Goodnight Vienna, which uh, on it, Ringo's head is superimposed on the body of Klaatu standing in the doorway of the spaceship next to the robot from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. And uh, when that album, when the Goodnight Vienna album was first released, there was a poster included, and at the bottom of the poster was the word Klaatu. And so the album 347 Eastern Standard Time came out in 1976. So that's one of the clues that we kind of want to talk a little bit about, is that name Klaatu, because it kind of, it's really kind of interwined in it, don't you think? Oh, totally. The way that this band name is mixed in and you're already seeing it come up. There's lots of hints and everything that are dropped all over the place. So what you just said right there, so this already was setting me off of like, okay, in my mind as I'm finding out this information, like something is connecting because, or there, there's some sort of connection because you don't just have that happen by chance. Like there's no way that this band is named Klaatu and that shows up on Goodnight Vienna. Um, and Paul is also saying, Paul said at a live show, we'll see you when the earth stands still, mm-hmm. which is from a quote from the movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is where the character Klaatu came from. So there's all these connections there and that's just not happening by chance. No fucking way. And that's not the only clue to come up. Paul McCartney has put his clues right into his public performances. Uh, when Paul McCartney and Wings last did a tour of the United States, they played at the Boston Garden, and after an encore, Paul McCartney said, See you when the earth stands still, which Klaatu, the name Klaatu was taken from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. No, I agree, and it, 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 there's so much that goes on with that, you know, it, it, the timing of that. So when you talk about that Boston Garden concert, basically when he said, See you when the earth stands still, if you do a little more... Uh, looking up that that concert was part of the Wings Over the World Tour, which took place in May 22, 1976. The tour stopped on June 26 of 1976, um, kind of like for a break, and, until they started again in, in uh, late September. Well, Klaatu's debut album released August 11, 1976. So it's, it's like perfectly in between of when McCartney was taking a break from touring and stuff like that. So kind of still flows like the timing is kind of right especially from when Paul McCartney said that and one other thing if you remember what uh, Steve Smith had said is that one of the giant posters on stage during that tour was of a Hulk comic book hero and the name of the issue that was on stage was the Hulk slash Klaatu confrontation and so if you look up the Hulk and Klaatu that that is a real deal like it was was, um, released in 1971 I believe if I remember right and so, you're, so you're you're talking about the day the Earth stood still, you know, and then you got Claw Two basically on your stage, 
and then you got Ringo doing it too. It's very fishy. Even more um, kind of speaking of Ringo, Ringo's actually the central part of this whole conspiracy though too. It's kind of a unique little <laughs> tie in. But if we're going to kind of continue with that sci-fi in that space kind of a talk, um, Ringo, Ringo's connection, first of all, um, is through um, his old album, Roto Gravure, which was released in 76. There's graffiti on the back of the building that says, come together again. So this is starting to talk about like the hidden messages that the Beatles okay. were popping in there, okay. you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So we're talking about, you know, come together again. And this was signed by Vince Bryan of Canada, who worked at GRT Records and Tape of Canada, who owned Klaatu's tape. Ringo's most recent album, Rhoda Gravere, has graffiti written all over the back door on the back side of the cover. One piece of graffiti says, come together again, signed by, uh, it looks like Vince Bryan of Canada. GRT Records and Tapes of Canada owns the Klaatu tapes. Um, I wonder if that could be a reference to man for the Beatles to come back together. Um, McCartney might be uh, uh, saying, listen to public demand, let's get back together again. So, like, how might those be connected? So, what what my connection theory on that one is, and this one is just kind of, like, a, a very light one for, you know, something that doesn't stick to the wall for me. But basically, they were saying, come together again, basically, on the back. Sure. But it was, but it was signed <laughs> by... <laughs> Shoot yeah. me. Okay, sorry. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Come together again. So, that was signed by the Canadian, you know... Uh, GRT records and tape person mm-hmm. who owns the Klaatu tapes. So it's either the Beatles were working with him like on the side and then purposely put that on their album, on Ringo's album, or, sure. or that they invited that Vince Bryan to come and do that actually. So I don't know for sure what what's going on there. That's kind of the theory behind that one. Okay. What do you feel? You feeling it? You feeling it? I'm, I'm feeling it, yeah. Yeah, you know, any any of these little signs, like there's lots, there's so many little details here, like come together again. Come on, man. That's like, you know, that's a hint for sure. You got to figure it for that. That's a weird little placement, but is somebody who's really like looking into it that like too deeply? Possibly. But let's talk about the sci-fi aspect of it. At the exact okay. same time... Um, in 1970, I think the I think the radio broadcast is wrong. They said somewhere in 73, but it was in 1974 that John Lennon saw a UFO in New York. And for him, that was like that was like a new sign or whatever of life. And so it was kind of like uh, he was listening to David Bowie and um, Elton John. So it's like that space kind of motion in his head is kind of like all right there okay so instead of just talking about now the name or Ringo's involvement let's actually start talking about the music and what their first actual claims are and the very first song is Sub Rosa Subway which when you play that first opening part when Sam Smith heard that he thought it was Paul McCartney and I tend to agree with him okay you know there's been a lot of groups uh They've copied the Beatles songs, and uh, how come this group's getting so much attention? In which ways are they similar? Uh, the song Sub Rosa Subway sounds like Paul McCartney singing with the Beatles backing him and everything. And uh, the end of the song even sounds like the end of All You Need Is Love. When you listen to that track, it sounds identical to his voice. Like, there's, there's just no way it's not Paul, like when you're hearing this song. Just beneath the great white way Alfred Beach works secretly Risking all to write a dream No, it's just like, it's like impossible. And so you listen to that, that Sub Rosa Subway, that's the song where they took voice prints and tried to match it from an earlier Beatles song. And apparently there was a woman in, I think, the Midwest they were talking about on that radio program. 
who did the actual scan and said that they were, you know, exact matches. The tapes, uh, they, they taped Paul McCartney's voice from the earlier Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. And they taped one of the songs on uh, uh, the Clyde Two album, and the voice prints were the same. But, she said, but then she turned around and said, but Paul McCartney is not in Clyde Two. But yet she said the voice prints were the same. Now, how true this is, I don't know. And so they brought it up to Capitol Record, didn't they? I think they said. Yep. And Sam Smith was like, well, you know, I, I brought it up to uh, the Capitol Records people, and they didn't deny that the voice records matched. Yeah, they neither confirmed nor denied. The classic runaround. Just too easy. They're, they're like, oh, I see those tinfoil hats coming out. Now, another part of Sub Rosa Subway was the Morse code at the end. And for this song, the Morse code uh, starts about 250 and kind of runs throughout the whole ending of the song. But the message was supposed to, the, the Morse, Morse code was supposed to help with figuring out the identity of the band. But when they tied together what the um, Morse code said, it is, and I quote, from Alfred, heed thy sharpened ear, a message we do bring. Starship appears upon our sphere through London's sky come spring. Do you discern anything from that Morse code there, Ben? Did that, when they kind of brought that to your attention, did that mean anything to you in this conspiracy talk? Not just right off the bat. I mean, the fact that someone put Morse code into a song anyway to tell a song or to, you know, to say something, I think is pretty cool. Well, for me, when I read that, it doesn't really... It really doesn't really present anything. I think when you look at that Morse code, it actually kind of connects interplanetary craft, uh, the the opening track of the song. I think that's where it kind of kicks in. I think that's kind of calling back to it. So I don't know if it really actually means anything for the Beatles Beatles being Klaatu or Klaatu's true identity. But it's kind of funny that that they, they really went to the depths to actually, you know, decipher the morse code just to see if it's the beatles don't you think that's kind of i mean that's going hardcore dude oh yeah the extent that other people that aren't me went to analyze this stuff is insane because i like the idea of it and i like to think that i'm a person that would go to these depths but i'm not (laughs) i'm just not you're on the you're on the back end of lazy is that what it was for a I conspiracy? guess so. I, I wouldn't consider myself lazy, but I'm not the guy who's going to do all that hard digging work. Mm-hmm. Plus, I just don't know enough. You know, I don't know enough about the Beatles or about all of these people to hear different things and connect them or, or hear quotes and connect them to certain periods of time or albums or things. So I just don't think I'm qualified to do the digging on this sort of album, but mm. I love hearing about it. Oh yeah, it's it's great. So Sub Rosa Subway is the main song that that Steve Smith was all gung ho about it. Um, speaking of Sub Sub Rosa Subway, when it opens up and it talks about the New York and the morning sun, we were were awakened by the strangest sound. Well, the Beatles first arrived uh, in, in America um, in New York City. And so they kind of think, well, that's, that was kind of illusion from the lyrics side of that. And then the next line is, as far as Washington, the tremor shook the earth, basically. Um, and it kind of just shows that the Beatles went on from New York City after they played Ed Sullivan and went to Washington Coliseum right, and rocked that box. Out. Yep. And so it's like, ah, so they're kind of like telling the, telling the story of the Beatles in a different realm, you know. For sure. No. Like... The, the storytelling and everything, the connections, they're, they're so small. And see, that's something I would have never picked out either. Of Like, they went from New York to Washington when they first came here. Like, and then to connect that to one line in this song is mm-hmm. pretty damn impressive. Yeah, you would have to be a complete uh, Beatle file just to even drag that one out. I mean, it's just amazing, but... Even these, like this one that I'm going to about, uh, this, I think this is the last clue I have written on Sub Rosa Subway, but when you play it in reverse, 
it kind of it, it it looks they say uh it's us it's us the beatles and then there's a little bit more of listen 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 it's mccartney you know and i don't i didn't understand those really because you know when you play something in reverse you can hear almost anything that you want to you know the song sub rosa subway has a meaning both forward and in reverse Pat Martin explained this and the song California Jam. The Pat Subrosa Subway reverse says um, right at the end when you tape around it was reversed. You can hear it's us, it's us, and then you hear the Beatles. Farther in, if you uh, listen closely, it goes listen, listen, listen. It's Courtney. That one was a little bit of a stretch for me. I don't think it would have been that blatant, but it's just too close to like what they think they hear in um you know strawberry fields where they say oh i hear lennon saying i buried paul you know it's a little bit far-fetched yeah a lot of these things Especially the reverse playing. I mean, it's pretty cool because they do reference that a couple times. Um, even in the very first song, the on calling occupants of interplanetary craft, they talk about how the the noise of that little bug or whatever is making that noise in the beginning, um, when played backwards, is saying we quit. Mm-hmm. And again, even if that's what you're hearing, you still have to make the connection that. That's referencing the Beatles saying we quit. And, you know, if you think about it, if they put it, if they put the terms uh, I quit in reverse, is that them saying we don't quit now? We're reversing our quitting and playing again? I mean, does that, that part kind of part plays a part into that conspiracy? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, yeah. That one wasn't on the radio program. That was just kind of something I just thought of right now. But it, that one, you know, it's like, okay, I could see maybe that, but it's like that's still far-fetched. For sure. And another reverse tape one is off of one of my favorite songs off the album, uh, California Jam. You know? they yeah. it, it talks about um, when you play a certain part in California Jam in reverse, it, it says something of, I feel fogged. I couldn't tell based off of the radio program, but it says, I feel fogged, which was tied to a Time Magazine article around that time where Paul talks about being ill on that tour. <laughs> yep. Time Magazine published an article in the May 31st, 76 edition concerning Paul McCartney. The article says, quote, there were a couple of years when I had sort of an illness. Goodbye. Now I'm not ill anymore. I feel I'm doing fine. End quote. And this is the most obvious thing of, of, of these things I've been talking about. If you reverse the cut, California, I'm on the Kratu album, you'll hear a thing that goes, I feel strong. And so I kind of thought, well, that, that's kind of a stretch right there, you know. But it's kind of a nice little pull, but they're able to tie that one together from that even. Right, yeah, because that had referenced Paul saying that um, for a while he wasn't feeling well. Um, but then started to feel better. And then on that track, you hear him say, I feel strong. And you could suppose that's Paul saying that he's back. But that's another one. That's, that's such a stretch. Cause you a have to know that he said that he wasn't feeling weak. And then just, you have to make that connection, that assumption that I feel strong is Paul saying that he's better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make is that making Paul stronger out of that? Yeah. Right. So other musical kind of connections that they kind of tied into was, um, and this one is kind of always a stretch for me because it's it's very hard to discern if a couple of them are George Harrison or not. But they did point out the second song that was most noticeable, uh, notice, noticeably Beatles, um, was Dark. Dr. Marvello. And they were kind of saying that that one was a very, very close to a George Harrison type song because it's got some sitar 
reverse, uh, you know, uh, tape effects. And if you really listen to the vocals, that does kind of sound very Harrison-ish almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, when you listen to those vocals um, in the later Klaatu albums, um, this vocal really does stand out as it it kind of shows up in a song called Hope and I Don't Want to Go Home, two of my other favorite Klaatu songs, um, and they sound very George Harrison-ish. So after this, after after we're done with the podcast, you should definitely listen in on those two songs too. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, Dr. Marvello does hold, I think, a lot of musical aspects that are very Beatles-ish. How did you feel about listening to that song, and how did you feel their comparison to with the song that they played after it? Because this radio program actually played the songs, and then they played a Beatles song like after it to kind of compare it almost, Yep. it felt like. And they compared it to Within You, Without You, which I didn't feel like was a great kind of comparison, but how did you feel about those two songs and their comparison? Well, just listening to Dr. Marvello when you hear it, it sounds totally like a Beatles song, like straight Beatles psychedelic. Just, just the voice and the vocal effects on it with the sitar and the thumping, dun, 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 that kind of going on in the background. Total, total Beatles song. Mm, that one has like one of the best bass lines on the whole album, too, I think, and it just feels it's, so McCartney. Yep, totally. And actually that... Uh, We'll get more into the full album review, but the backing vocals on there is also pretty rare. Other messages hidden by the Beatles in during this time of uh, the mid-70s was an album by John Lennon called Shaved Fish. And there's a, a line in one of the songs there. I can't remember which ones they said, um, but the line was, A conspiracy of silence speaks louder than words. Here, Pat lets us in on still more clues, such as this, relating to John Lennon's Shaved Fish album. Quote from John Lennon's album, Shaved Fish says, quote, a conspiracy of silence, more than words, end quote. Plateau is definitely a conspiracy of silence. No pictures exist of Plateau, no writing or production credits on the album, and no one, including Frank Davies or records, will reveal their identity. And with no pictures existing, there's no writing or production credits on the album, and no one will reveal their identity. Don't you think that definitely is kind of a lead into uh, uh, Klaatu? Okay, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I think we're on to something here. That's right around the same time John Lennon saw that UFO in New York City. So it's kind of a kind of a full circle like little uh, uh, thing there. Another song that includes kind of sounds or music that's kind of tied to the Beatles and what these ones are kind of a little bit of a stretch. Um, it's the, if you reverse Little Neutrino, which is a fun little tune, but reversing Little Neutrino, you, hearing, you hear flying saucers, a time bomb, and a huge explosion kind of in that order. And they're kind of saying that that's the Beatles signaling the um, like they're exploding back onto the scene. Now... Little Neutrino does kind of that sound, seems like a stretch. Yeah, but, but Little Neutrino going. does end does end the album, and it kind of like kicks in right there at the end. So it's kind of cool. But the most important part about Little Neutrino and the musical variety of it is the fact that Alan Parsons had around that time come up with a vocal effect which sounds exactly eerily like Little Neutrinos, based off of these people, off of the uh, radio show. And Alan Parsons was with the Beatles during Abbey Road and Let It Be. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, he's passing around that technology to his buddies, you know. Okay. And so there's a small connection there with the way that, because Alan Parsons was very good with electronics and distorting sounds and stuff. So it's like, and he was good friends with George Harrison, especially, I think. Um, But he um, had some, a song out at that time that had that same effect. Okay, sure. I can see it. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the other things was is that, you know, the Beatles, when they're talking about getting back together, uh, people had offered them a lot of money. So one one guy offered them $50 million to reunite, um, but McCartney had said, we would not reunite just for the money. We would do it purely for the music. And that was Klaatu's. One of his, one of their things was about um, just doing it for the music, letting the music stand up. Well, another part about the Beatles not getting together was about having a bitter breakup. Uh, Lennon kind of thought Paul went to hell. Okay. And- the 
breakup of the Beatles was bitter. For years, Paul and John would speak to one another. Uh, to put it pretty bluntly, John thought Paul had gone to hell. Now, there's a line in the song Sir Botsworth, Rugglesby III, that says he's the only man who's ever gone to hell. Come back. If Plateau is the Beatles, this could be a song about McCartney coming back into the good graces of the other three, and especially into the good graces of Lennon. And if you read into the lyrics of Sir Bodsworth Rugglesby III, yes, that is an actual song title, Sir Bodsworth Rugglesby III. There's a reference about one man going to hell and back, and so, you know, Lennon and McCartney used to jones each other all the time, so this actually might hold water if this, if this is really the Beatles. It actually might be um, a, an actual clue. I'm the only man who'll ever get to hell and come back alive. But if you look uh, on the back of the album in the original prints, it was misspelt on the back cover as Rubbles B. And whoever that person was in the um, in the radio broadcast, I think it was Steve Smith still, he said, um, if, you de- if you define bods, worth, then rubble, and B, it equals, or it, it, uh, it's, it uh, defines as persons of importance born of quarrying. And, of course, the Beatles were the quarrymen at the beginning mm-hmm. of their uh, Beatleness. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a wild little uh, deal there, don't you think? Yeah, just the name, that tie-in to the quarrymen and that small little oopsie accidental typo to kind of set that stage. But what really stands out to me from this one is the idea that John had thought Paul had gone to hell basically. And then once they had kind of reunited and come back into each other's good graces, this song seems like it could be a direct tie to that belief. And this song, you know, Paul essentially being Sir Brodsworth Rugglesby the third and being the only man who's ever gone back to hell or whoever, who's ever gone to hell and come back alive. So I think that's a cool story. And yeah. seemingly a direct tie to this idea that Paul had gone to hell and come back. Yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty, it, it's, it's fucking sweet uh, of, of an idea to think about. And here's another part about the Paul um, tie with Sir uh, Rugglesby is that, you know, Sir Bodsworth is officially pronounced dead, uh, as dead at the, at the end. And the OPD badge is worn by Paul McCartney on Sgt. Pepper's. The only Beatle to do that. Also on that same song, it says that Sir Bob officially presumed as dead. Uh, officially presumed as dead, or OPD. Now, everybody remembers the source of controversy that the OPD badge brought when McCartney wore it on the Sgt. Pepper's album. McCartney stated in a 1969 Life magazine interview that he had picked up the OPD badge in Canada. Now, that also kind of ties in with the Paul is dead rumors, but at the same time, if we're taking that out of context, you know, taking out out of the whole thing, you look at just Paul wearing that, and then also this being tied to Paul, possibly, as being Mm -hmm. Bodsworth, that's, 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 that's pretty, that's pretty streamlined right there in my book. Yep. Seems like it'd be a, a direct correlation there. And one of my, uh, so like I said, California Jam is kind of one of my, my favorite ones. I loved um, how they think that this, kind of going back to what we said about Sub Rosa Subway and how they landed in New York and then went to Washington, uh, they had talked about how California Jam may have been written to commemorate the last concert that they played in America, which mm-hmm. was uh, Candlestick Park on August 27th, 1966. Um this one holds a lot for me too. I really like how they talked about that. There's a, you know, at the beginning, there's a bye bye bye, to say you know goodbye to touring. So it's like California Jam, and they're they're saying bye bye bye, and then the at the end, the yeah 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 to end the song, kind of like the she loves you. They're they're done with that, and it's kind of like them mocking it and saying, Haha, we don't have to tour anymore. We don't have to do anything. So it's kind of like that. It was like that, that kind of like last snapshot of um, 
touring. For sure. How did that roll for you? Did you notice that one at all? I, well, what I noticed mostly in that was towards the end of the song, before the yeah, yeah, yeahs come in, when the singer goes, California, it sounds so much like Paul. saying California so just that alone it's like well that just sounds like him I didn't even pick out the yeah 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 parts I just thought that was a really cool way to end the song mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a great one it kind of, it has that spacey feel at the end too which we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into more of with the album review but no it really it, it's kind of crazy but the last one that they kind of the last note that I take I took from this was um, in 1953 same year that uh, I think the, the day the Earth stood still came out. Uh, sci- scientists were attempting to beam radio signals from Earth to make contact with alien beings, you know, if you remember that part. Yep. There was one observatory just, you know, on the outside, 30 miles from Liverpool, which would have been strong enough to do this. And they tied it in with the 347 Eastern Standard Time. Another thing, when the LP was first released in Canada, the title was 347 EST, or 347 Eastern Standard Time. That was a time uh, back in 1953 when scientists around the world attempted to beam radio signals out from the Earth in an attempt to contact extraterrestrial beings. There's a place called the Jodrell Bank Observatory in uh, which would have been probably the only radio, sc- uh, radio telescope large enough to do this at the time. And that's just 30 miles from Liverpool. Uh-huh, well. it's, right, it's right near where, uh, where the Beatles grew up. So that kind of ties up the things that I wanted to talk to about from that radio program. I thought those were the biggest like, kind of pointers that they really pointed out in there. Um, you know, once again, it's it's Ringo's uh, connection with the Claw Two and Goodnight Vienna, uh, Paul McCartney uh, at the Boston Garden with a Claw Two and Hulk, um, and like giant posters on the wall, um, and just the sounds of the albums of the album itself is just so very Beatlesque. Um, is there anything else off of that radio program that you felt um, we should uh, tap on to that? Um, you felt was interesting or what was your overall opinion of that radio program after having listened to the album once and then going into it well first of all Jesse I think you did a fantastic job communicating and relaying the information in that was communicated throughout these episodes and these articles so hats off to you well done thank you so now to get into my very unexpert opinion this album Sounds a lot like the Beatles. Thank you. That's that's it. Um, so yeah, it you sounds. Can't a, do that in mid <laughs> puff. <laughs> it sounds a lot like the Beatles. There's, it's there's so many songs. It sounds like Paul's voice for sure. And the whole conspiracy point about them doing voice prints to Paul's voice and then the voice from this track and they were matches, just seems to add to the case and it even sounds like in some parts john and george's voices as well Mm -hmm. throughout the album i think the the clues and or coincidences are undeniable all these things that we've talked about they are for sure intentionally connected um from ringo's album one thing we didn't talk about was that ringo was recording his album ringo at the time and all the beatles were on that album in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they were all obviously together at the time, but that was recording around the same time that this Claw 2 album was recorded or kind of when the band had formed in 1973. The album came out in 76. So it seems like there that could have kind of been the beginning of them potentially writing this new material and getting together. Um, the quotes made by Paul, the, the way the songs are crafted, the references, those little bits that are featured in the song from Morse code to supposedly if you play it backwards this is what you hear um, I think th- those things are undeniable and I think there's also a lot of the the timing seems right there's a lot of mystery and secrecy so when they were talking to the record companies or the managers of this band and everyone was either giving them a runaround just flat out denying or saying they didn't know or kind of giving a wishwashy answer it seems like something's going on here but 
one thing I think is important to note is that almost all of these things that are referenced here, somebody could create on their own. So and what I mean by that is if you have an extensive knowledge of the band, you could, in theory, create this album yourself with all these little clues in it. You don't need to be the Beatles to put these clues into the song. Because if you know that Paul or that John had said Paul had gone to hell, you could and knew they got back into good graces. You could write a song about that. You don't have to be the Beatles to write that. Or you don't you if you knew that Claw Two was featured in some way, shape, or form, like on Ringo's album, you could incorporate that into your own work. So there's there's lots of ways you could pull that into your own work. Um, but I think my conclusion that I've come down is like, it's very intentional. So whether it's the Beatles or not, I'm just going to lean towards that it's not, even though just because that's just kind of who I am. Although I do think it's very possible that they played some sort of hand in it, whether it was directly or indirectly. Um, because if Paul literally was giving out these clues on stage, perhaps he just heard about this and played into it just to kind of add to the mystery and the conspiracy, or maybe he had more of a direct involvement and was actually in on the recording or writing of some of these songs. I don't think that's out of the question either. The fact that maybe the Beatles were involved in this project in some way, even though they weren't the main songwriters or the main people of this band. I think that's a possibility, but I think my my guess is that it's someone who wanted to create some buzz and some stir and took all of this bits of information. The only thing that I can attest for is the musicianship and the craftsmanship because you have to be a very good musician to create music like that. Even if you sat down with all the tools at your disposal and went into the studio and said, I'm going to create an album that sounds exactly like the Beatles. That's still pretty fucking hard to do, even if you're really good. So Even if you're the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, even if you're the Beatles. So there is something to be said about that of like, how is this sound created not by the Beatles? Because even a group getting together, like that's going to be really hard to do. So that one still is kind of a question mark up in the air for me. No, definitely. And I'll tell you the the conspiracy that my uncle Mike and I came up with um, when I first was getting involved with. And so I kind of was the lead conspirator on this one, but he kind of filled in some good pieces. But the the album was recorded from, so Klaatu's uh, 347 Eastern Standard Time was created from 1973 to 1976. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Ringo's album, Ringo, because that was going to be part of my conspiracy, was way that I look at it is that they got together and they had, so when the, when the Beatles had collaborated on Ringo's album, it wasn't all in the same room. But they did it in pieces, and they actually kind of intertwined, or you know, kind of mm-hmm. like a couple played on one song together here, and then a couple played on this one. You know, um, I don't recall if all four played on one song at all or not. But sure. um, regardless, they were getting together to do that. And to me, um, maybe they did get together, or if they didn't, maybe they left each other with certain tapes and they filled into it because much like the radio program does point out they were working in different studios um, in the White Album you know mm-hmm. like George Harrison remembers I was working in number two adding horns here Lennon was in number one with Yoko doing some you know taping um, and then McCartney was doing vocals in number three so they were used to working separate and then giving each other the material to work on yep. So in my opinion, if this works out where the Beatles are, what I see them as doing is that they got together sometime in late 73 after hearing a couple of the tracks, and one of them or a couple of them were in Canada at that time at the end of 73 and maybe ran into some studio musicians and kind of like, hey, we're going to take your time, you know, in the studio, and they... You know, we're recording with some of that stuff, and they kind of saw that it was secret Beatles stuff, and they kind of, you know, were kind of going, "Hey, what's uh, what's all this?" So they had to keep it hush hush, and they kind of kept it going for the last three years until they came up with this material. 
I think that's like the most plausible thing. So if they had to do it out of Canada somehow, they either met somebody up there that could keep it alive and keep it secret, I think. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's what I would lean towards as well if mm-hmm. I were to say it is the Beatles. So I don't actually think that all of them got together and they sat in a studio like they used to yep. do like the good old days. But I think yep. if this works out as the Beatles, they had to have pieced it together apart. And that's why it took three years. And, you know, they they've had they had some help in, you know, Canada. You know, that's all. In, in my book, I think that's the best conspiracy that could make sense to this because I don't think anywhere in their in their scheduling from the 70s were they all in one place at once. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I would say just based on the music alone, like I was saying, it almost has to be the Beatles. But yeah, I would agree that it was recorded in bits if it was recorded truly by them separately over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I... Kind of going back onto the, you know, if it's not the Beatles, I would say the evidence is actually in the music in itself, if it was not going to be the Beatles. Because one thing that I really appreciate about the Beatles, and I know not everybody's the hugest fan about them, but they rarely repeat themselves. And so there's a lot of repetition from, you know, Sergeant Pepper in here and stuff like that. So I could actually see that not being the Beatles just on the music aspect. Mm-hmm. Because of that aspect, but sure. um, when you do listen to the music, it is still different from what they did. It's just that they got little hints of stuff, which, you know, I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's meant to throw, you know, beetle nuts like me off. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, in general, um, this conspiracy is a fun one. I think this one... Um, you know, it really racks up like the Beatles in the seventies. It kind of gave them a little more notice. It's kind of this, like carrying the legend of the Beatles through, and it's it's just kind of a nice little uh, conspiracy to have, where it's not just like, hey, Paul's dead, <laughs> you know, right? Something that actually could be real. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if this is truly the Beatles, I think um, you know, fuck. Then you got another Beatles record. If you don't, you still got a great record from somebody. Still it's got a great record. And f- I, uh, interplanet, you know, uh, uh, occupy or calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Yeah, we're gonna edit that one out there. But um, no, we're leaving that in. <laughs> yeah, calling calling in. Yeah, interplanetary craft is a, a phenomenal song, and when you listen to it, it sounds like Lennon right in that beginning, and it just you get a haunting feeling like, yeah, this is the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a great little conspiracy. I hope many people can um, enjoy this. Hopefully you kind of played along with us and um, go out and listen to the album before you find out uh, what we say is, uh, is the real deal because uh, on our next episode, I will make the reveal. Yeah, next next week, Jesse and I are going to do a full-on album review of this album because it's good enough to do that. We're going to go through each track like we normally do, and we'll also kind of discuss, as we go through the songs, parts that sound a lot like the Beatles that we think might be the Beatles, and then Jesse's going to tell us really what's going on. Yeah, so... Hold on to your seats, please, people. If you feel like uh, you have to know the answer, go ahead and look it up. But if you just want to play along Cheers. with us, just come along with the conspiracy. Put the tinfoil hats on. Watch a little Joe Rogan <laughs> if you need to get some more conspiracies in, in you before you get into this one. But I think this one's a fun one, and I think it's uh, definitely a doable uh, doable one if you want to hold off. You know, It really is. And I can honestly say, like, not knowing the answer has been really fun to like listen to and discover and listen to this album because in today's world our first instinct is just to fucking google like oh you know everything we live in the google culture but Mm -hmm. to like not know even knowing that like yeah i'm sure i could find out all the details and all the information pretty quickly if i googled it but to like not know and kind of be in suspense i kind of felt like an investigative reporter listening through some of this material and reading through some of this material like I was in some secret. So it's kind of a lot of fun to do this. So I'm really excited to get together later and hear the big reveal. Oh, definitely. So for once in our 
history. This is a two-part episode, so the needle is not lifting off to cut off the album. We're actually going to be flipping the album. So we will uh, cut off at part one here, and we'll set on to side two uh, later next week, folks. So, Ben, thank you for playing along with The Conspiracy. Continue to wear those tin hats for a week, if you want, for the reveal. Otherwise, enjoy your week and uh, listen in the clock, too, and uh, discovering the answer, if you'd like. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope by now your mind is churning and your mind is blown. You might be buying into the conspiracy a little bit. Next week, we'll go through the entire album, like we had mentioned, and we'll do a track-by-track review and see how it relates to the Beatles and what might be the Beatles. One more reminder, now that the episode is over, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You don't have to listen on Apple Podcasts to leave us a review, so be greatly appreciated if you do that now. And then while you're out there in internet world, stop by Instagram and follow us at On The Record Music and on Twitter at OTRM Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next week for the album review.